Well, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, the 8th chapter. Mark chapter 8. And we just have a few verses before us this morning. And yet it is the first time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus has, has healed a blind man. And this miracle actually sets up what's, what's coming next. The Gospel of Mark is... Mark writes the gospel in, in like three scenes or three acts. And act one goes up through the verse 21 of chapter 8 where Jesus is in Galilee. Act two is, it goes from, from this passage that we're going to see this morning all the way up to the end of chapter 10. And that's Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. It's all about the disciples. Act one is all about him preaching and uh, revealing who he is in Galilee, all of it primarily there. No more signs will be given, no more revelation. Jesus is leaving Galilee, and he's going to go to Jerusalem. But that whole scene is about the education of the disciples. And then Act 3, obviously, is in Jerusalem. That begins in chapter 11 with the triumphal entry and goes through the end of, of Mark in chapter 16, which is obviously the, the, the resurrection. And our passage today is actually the introduction of, of Act 2. And after the, the final formal rejection of the leaders of Israel, and then you get this scene of Jesus with the disciples in the boat where they're trying to figure out who brought the chips, and, and they're in the process of understanding. And Jesus points back to them and, and with that statement, Do you not yet understand? Do you have hardened hearts? He's not going to give any more revelation to unbelieving Pharisees and, and the rejectors, but, but he's going to patiently lead those who are following him into more truth. And, and this scene sets up some very familiar scenes, which, which are, are probably some of the most significant in all the Bible. I mean, what's coming next is Caesarea Philippi, where, where Peter makes that declaration. He specifically, explicitly identifies, which he hasn't done up to this point, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And before on the, on the water, they say, surely this must be the Son of God. But now, what's coming next is, surely you are the, the Son of God. You're the Christ. And as soon as the disciples, as soon as Peter makes that statement on behalf of the other disciples, yes, we believe that you are the Messiah, then Jesus explicitly tells them the Messiah's mission, which is the cross. And then you know what comes next. Peter begins to instruct the Lord, and the Lord tells him he's full of the devil. Jesus has come to die. So after the great confession that we'll see next week, Jesus says that must be accompanied by great submission. Take up their own cross. Jesus is the king. But the doorway into the kingdom is, is the cross, and he's going to have to tread through that first to open it, but, but then the rest of us will follow, all who will live godly, who will pursue Christ, will, will suffer persecution. And then from that passage, from, from the one we'll see next week, that, that this one sets up, the shadow of the cross falls over everything, all the way up to the cross, as they move toward Jerusalem. And opening the, the eyes of this blind man is what Jesus uses to prepare his disciples for that great confession that's coming. It's what he uses to finally help them recognize his identity. So it's significant. 
And I'd say he wants to use it to open your eyes this morning to him for the first time or 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 to see him more clearly if you if you already know him. And I think the temptation for us, at least the temptation that 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 I have in in my own heart is to get too familiar with with holy amazing things. I, I mean, it's it's easy. The temptation is to get too familiar with amazing things in the Bible. If you've been in been in the church for any length of time, you know, oh yeah, Jesus healed a blind man. Yeah, I mean that's what Jesus does. Isn't that a temptation? And especially when you're in chapter 8 of the Gospel of Mark, and we've already seen the Lord calm storms, He's raised the dead, He's walked on water, He's fed thousands twice, He's, he's given hearing to a, a deaf man, he, He's helped him to, to speak. And this is the first time He's going to show His power over a blind man, but the temptation is to think, yeah, I mean, so big deal, that's what, that's what God does. Or, or look for some deeper meaning that, that, that's here. But the miracles of God are, are not mundane. And I can promise you that this was not a mundane miracle for the man that, that, that was, was given sight. We read from, we read from verse 22 through, through verse 30 to get the whole flow, but we're only going to look through verse 26. And, and here Jesus is, is exercising power over blindness. And I would outline it this way. The miracle that we see reveals three eye-opening evidences about the identity of Jesus Christ. It's a compassionate miracle that's done for, for the man. It's a confirming miracle for the disciples. It's going to set them up. Jesus is, is a compassionate God, the compassionate God. He's touched by, by our needs, and Jesus is the Messiah. And it's also a, a coming miracle for us. Jesus is the King who's going to usher in a future kingdom. And that's coming for those of us who know the Savior. Let, let's look at the first one here. It's a compassionate miracle for the man. And I want you to pay attention to two things. There's, there's what Mark emphasizes, that Jesus takes him and he also touches him. Look, if you would, at verse 22. He says, And then they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him or begged him to touch him. Verse 23, taking the blind man by the hand, or he took the blind man by the hand and brought him, brought him out of the village. And after spitting on his eyes he, and laying hands on him, he asked him, do, what do you see or do you see anything? And Jesus and the disciples have been in the boat. They, they come to their, their destination. They arrive at Bethsaida. And immediately upon arriving in the town, like you, like you see almost every time when someone figures out that Jesus is, is, is in town, they bring this blind man, the people bring this blind man to Jesus and begin to, to beg him to touch him, which, which in their minds meant, meant healing. They, this, this is like the superstition of the, of the woman. If, if, if I can just come in contact with him, then, then some miraculous power will, will flow from, from, from Jesus and, and he'll be healed. And that's what they ask. Will you touch him? And the people of, of Bethsaida, by this time, are very familiar with Jesus and very familiar with his power. I mean, Bethsaida is the hometown of Peter, Andrew, and Philip. It's a, it's a small fishing village. In fact, it, that's what the word means. It's, it's house of fishing or house of fish. And, and everyone knew everybody. So, I mean, these three guys left the family fishing business to, to follow this rabbi. And, and 
Where's Peter? Well, he's out following Jesus. And so the town knew these three men when they, when they showed up. And the disciples were with Jesus, obviously. And they also knew Jesus, which is why they were begging him to do something. Because back in chapter 6, when Jesus fed the 5,000, which is about 25,000 people, he performed that miracle very close to Bethsaida. I mean, with, it's, it's very, very likely that several of the residents of Bethsaida were, were fed on that day. And they were the ones that tried to take Jesus as, as king. And they know who he is, and they know what he's capable of, and so they bring this man to him. But there's a problem. You know what the problem is? Jesus has already declared that there will be no more signs, no more healings, no more public miracles. And they're bringing this man to Jesus, begging him in Bethsaida, to, to, to heal him. And the healing of a blind man is one of the primary evidences in the Old Testament promised by God that would reveal the Messiah. And so, this is a problem. And, and Bethsaida is clearly part of the, of the condemned areas, if you will. The areas where there's not going to be any more, any more signs. It's part of the evangelical triangle, the which included Chorazin and Capernaum. It's where Bethsaida and Chorazin and Capernaum is where Jesus did the majority of his miracles. And that's why they're condemned so strongly in Matthew 11. Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida, Matthew 11:21. For Listen, for if the mighty works done in you, in your midst, in front of you, in your town, if the mighty works done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon, Gentile cities, wicked, pagan, Gentile towns. If they would have had even half of the preaching, half of the miracles, I mean, just a smidgen, they would have repented in sackcloth and, and ashes. But Bethsaida didn't do that. I think it's easy for us to, to kind of conclude naturally that that, that God is going to, is going to, to judge the deepest, darkest regions of Africa, the, somebody where, where people are, are worshiping animals stronger than, than he would America or, or Europe because we're so, we're so civilized. That, that's wrong. Judgment is equated to light. All will be judged for rejecting Jesus Christ, but the more light that you have, the greater level of, of responsibility and the greater level of, of judgment. You think about how much gospel people in the United States of America have rejected. You think about how much gospel you have received and you have rejected. And all are without excuse, excuse Romans 1 says. But you are held accountable to God by, by the level of the light that, that you received. And the level of light that Bethsaida had received should have brought them to repentance. They had way more light than the Gentiles had. And if the Gentiles, if these wicked pagan cities had just, just, a, just even close to the amount of light that Bethsaida had, they would have repented. The people had plenty of preaching, plenty of confirmation, and they refused to believe. And so Jesus says, no more public miracles. But look at verse 23. Taking the blind man by the hand. He brought him out of the village. While Jesus said he would give no more signs publicly to the rejecting townspeople, 
It didn't stop him from having great compassion on this single needy man, did it? He does this miracle even though he said no more signs because he wouldn't let their wicked judgment keep him from ministering to to this blind man who was willing to believe. But notice that he takes the man outside of the village. That's the way the townspeople will not see the sign, but the man will receive his sight. That's compassion. This very morning, there are places all over the world that are closed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and no light publicly shines because of people's unbelief, whether it's Saudi Arabia or parts of China or North Korea or wherever, and people there that have rejected over and over and over are left in their own darkness, And that's not unjust on God's behalf, but in every one of those places, God in His mercy is taking some outside of the public eye and saving them. It's called the underground church. And He might be calling you to go to one of them. Mark Dever said there are no closed countries, only places where it's more difficult to preach your second sermon. The Great Commission says, Go but it makes no promise that you'll come back. Just the promise that wherever you go, His authority will be with you. And you go because He's sent, and He sends because He has compassion on people that are in darkness. Verse 23, taking the man by the hand, the compassion is revealed in the miracle... It's revealed in the fact that he does it, and it's also revealed in the fact the way that he does it. He touches the man. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village. A blind person needs to be led. Jesus can't say, hey, come follow me. (laughs) Especially where Jesus is leading him away from the crowd, outside of the town. But the fact that Jesus touched him is more significant than him guiding him. I mean, think about this. God incarnate touches sinners. We just had our new members class yesterday, and I mean, I say it every time when I go through it. I listen to the salvation testimonies, I get to share mine, and it never, ever, ever gets old. (laughs) That God reaches to sinners. He doesn't stand aloof way up there. And say, well, if you can grope in the darkness and find me, then then you can receive me. He comes to us. And religious leaders wouldn't touch people who are considered cursed like this man. But Jesus takes this man's hand and starts leading him away before he ever touches him in a healing way. He who knew no sin, the one who has never been defiled by sin, became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Not only did He draw near and touch my sinful soul, He took my sin and He carried it away. And the people want Jesus to touch the man because they think it's like some type of of, of magic power. He's a magic man and, and Jesus touches to communicate his compassion before anything else. And he does that a lot. He, he touched the leper. He touched the dead girl, Jairus' daughter. He touched the woman with the issue of blood. Does Jesus have to touch any of those people to heal him? 
Let there be light, and there was light. He doesn't have to touch anybody. But he wants us to know his compassion. He wants them to know his compassion toward, toward their infirmities. They used to sing a song at Red House Independent Church called He Touched Me. You know that song? He touched me, oh, he touched me, and oh, the joy that floods my soul. Has he done that for you? If he has, you know it, don't you? Joy has flooded your your soul. He made you whole. You know it. It's a compassionate miracle for the man. It's also a confirming miracle for the for the disciples. I want you to notice it verifies, it also illustrates. It verifies that Jesus is the Messiah. The blind see, and they're struggling to grasp what they finally declare next, that Jesus is the Messiah. So it verifies. It also illustrates, because this is a spiritual sight coming in, in stages. Verse 23, taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes laying his hands on him, he asked him, do, do you see anything? Now, now, remember, this is a private miracle. This is not for the crowd. But it's also not just for the man. He does not want to leave this man in his condition, even though he's declared no more signs, no more miracles. So he takes him out of the out, outside of the town. So it's a private miracle, but and he does that because he also doesn't want to leave the disciples in their condition either. How does the last scene end? Look at verse 21 of Mark 8. I mean, he says, do you not yet understand? Do you, do you have a hardened heart? Do you have eyes that don't see? Do you have ears that don't hear? Do you, do you not remember? In verse 21, he, he's saying, do you not yet understand? That, that's what's implied there. Do you not yet understand? And then, verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida. These things are connected together. And now here they are with Jesus, and Jesus gives a blind man sight. And causing the blind man, causing the blind to see is the most recognizable trait of the coming Messiah, because only God can do that. I mean, this day, there's not, they're, they're not ophthalmologists. There's not um, laser treatment. And I mean, if you're blind, you're, you're blind. There's no healing. There's no surgeries. So, I mean, it would be very easy to recognize the Messiah from, from, a, from, from that standpoint because only he could do something like this. And so Isaiah 35 says, those, Say to those with an anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance to recompense. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. The eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. What was the, what was the healing that Jesus did right before the no signs and the, the disciples. He opened the ears of a, of a deaf man, and now he's opening the eyes of a blind man. The lame will leap like a deer. The tongue of the mute will shout for joy. I mean, three of the four things that, that Isaiah says the, the, the Messiah will do, Jesus has just done right in, front of the, right in front of the disciples. He's doing this right before they go to Caesarea Philippi. Do you remember what John's disciples Ask Jesus whenever John's in prison, and he begins to doubt, he begins to waver, and he starts wondering like you and I would. And, and it's, they, John sends his disciples to Jesus and, and says, John wants to know, is it you? Are you the one, or should we look for another? And you remember how Jesus responds? 
He says, you tell John the blind receive their sight. It's the mark of the Messiah. John would have known exactly what Jesus meant. God confirms the identity of the Messiah through this physically compassionate act. He's going to open physically blind eyes, and that's going to signify something even greater. He's going to open spiritually blind eyes. And here Jesus is doing that very thing in front of the disciples. This is the last miracle Jesus performs in the Galilean ministry, and then they head for Jerusalem. And he does it in private for the disciples. Do you know how I can confirm to you that God cares about you today? I mean, I can point you to the cross, which is obviously the ultimate display of God's care and his love for you. But I can, I can confirm to you this morning that God cares about you. And I can do that because you're here and you're hearing his word. He's speaking to you this morning. He cares enough to draw you here however you got here and to put somebody in front of you that that is proclaiming his truth to you. That is God's gracious care for you. There are millions all over the planet that have never heard the name Jesus Christ. And how many times have you heard it in your life? It's God in his kindness telling you that Christ is my son. Believe in him. And he's doing that because he wants you to believe. But being able to see him clearly may not come all at once. You know everything today that you knew the day that you got saved? I don't. Ten years from now, will you know more? Hopefully. Shame on us if we don't, right? Look at verse 23. doesn't come all at once. Jesus, after spitting on his eyes, lays his hands on him. Hands, plural. It takes both hands, and he puts both hands over over his eyes, one over one over each eye, and he asks him a question: Do you see anything, or what do you see? It's the only miracle in the Gospels, the only one. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the only one where Jesus asks the healed person a question. It's the only two stage miracle in all of the Gospels, and look at what the man says. In verse 24, and he looked up and said, I see. You may not be able to see this in, it's clearly, no pun intended, in in English. I looked up. We we typically think like, you know, he looked up. But the word actually means that he sees. He's able to see. And the man says, I see. I see the men. And they're walking around like, like trees. The word looked up means he, he regained his sight. It's the exact same word that's used for the healing of blind Bartimaeus, where there's not two stages. The issue here is not whether the man was no longer blind. He could see. The issue is his focus. He says, I see the men like trees. There's an article. Now, remember, he's not in the village where the crowd is. So who are the men that he sees? He sees the disciples. He sees the disciples who are with Christ, and they're with Christ because he has a purpose. He's teaching him. This blind man is a massive object lesson before they get to Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus' true purpose was out of focus for them as well. And it's soon going to be crystal clear. 
Why do you think Peter rebukes Jesus when he says, I'm going to die and go to the cross? Because he can't see. Things are out of focus. He only sees partially. He doesn't seem fully. The kingdom, the kingdom is about earthly things. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a, he's a, he's a leader. He's a teacher. He's, he's, he's the Messiah. But they're focused on earthly things. That's why they're asking, can I sit on the right hand or on the left? That's why they look so dense. What they needed to see clearly was that Jesus was God. They needed the spiritual part to come into focus. And that didn't even happen until Pentecost. It's the same for us, isn't it? I mean, when you came to Christ, you were given spiritual eyes, spiritual eyesight at salvation. But we grow in our ability to see God clearly. We believe, but He's blurry at times. And the more we, we learn about Him, the clearer He becomes. And finally, we'll see perfectly in, in heaven. That's why you're here, to see, see more clearly. Last week we, we talked about, we saw how you can improve spiritual sight. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's how you start. Pure people can see, impure people can't see. If you can't see God, or He's, he's blurry, you can't see Him at all, repent of your sin. Have a pure heart, and He'll come into, he'll come into focus, and then get in His Word, and then it'll get, it get clear. This man goes from lacking sight to unfocused sight to perfect sight. Look at verse 25. Jesus, again, lays his hands on his eyes. And he looked intently, and he was restored and, and began to see everything clearly. Now, again, it's hard for you to see, but you, you notice that how many times the word see or sight is used. He looked up. He, Do you see anything? I see men. I see them like trees. He looked intently. He was restored. He began to see everything clearly. About every word that, that's possible in the Greek for, for sight and seeing is, is used here. Anablepsis, he looked up to see. Ophthalmus, about every word for eye is used. He looked intently. Diablepo is literally like to see through, like blurriness is gone. It was restored. Apocophistomy means he's back to perfect vision. And the final word means that, that everything comes into focus. He can see near and he can also see far. It's not blurry anymore. He isn't just able to see right here. He can see way out there. And the man says, I can see everything in focus, both near and far. And when Jesus gives you spiritual eyes, they're focused on him. Near. You're living your life now, but we're also looking for something out in the distance, aren't we? What is that? It's the coming kingdom. It's a miracle. It's a coming miracle for us. Look at verse 26. And he sent him to his home saying, don't even enter the village. I mean, I was listening to, to Jesse read, and, and in verse 30, and he warned them to tell no one about him. I mean, just twice you're sitting there going, that's just so counterintuitive. We're supposed to tell everybody. And he sent him home, saying, don't even enter the village. And there are two things anticipated in that statement. 
This man is sent home seeing perfectly. He's been led to Jesus by the crowd. He's been led outside of the city by Jesus. And now he's walking home by himself. Whatever Jesus does, whatever healings he does, it's perfect. And the coming miracle for us is, is, is this is what the kingdom is going to be like. There's going to be no blindness at all. Now, you're sitting here this morning, and I would say most of you. You might have some aches and pains. Most of you. Not all of us. Me. I'm fairly healthy this morning. Got some sickies at home. You, a lot of people are sick this morning. But I would say the reality of the kingdom doesn't touch healthy people the way that it, it does people who are deeply sick or, or they have a loved one that's suffering. I can tell you that the promise of heaven and the promise of kingdom means a lot to Vernon, Vernon, Roman this morning. I can say Paul and Suzanne Phelps, this passage is massive to them this morning. That there is a coming kingdom where there's not going to be sickness. And there's a coming heaven where there's not going to be death or disease. And all the miracles that Jesus performed reveal that he is the one who is the doorway into the kingdom. But they also foreshadow what the kingdom is going to be like. The dumb speak, the blind see, sickness will be banished. And the kingdom won't be heaven, but the curse of the earth will be removed and Jesus will reign over the whole earth. Listen to this commentary from the end chapters of Revelation describing the kingdom. Imagine a world dominated by righteousness and goodness. Well, that's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? A world where there is no injustice, where no court ever renders an unjust verdict, and where everyone is treated fairly. Imagine a world where what is right, true, and noble marks every aspect of life including interpersonal relations, commerce, education, government. Imagine a world where there is complete, total, enforced, and permanent peace, where joy abounds, good health prevails, so much so that people live for hundreds of years. Imagine a world where the curse is removed where the environment is restored to the pristine purity of the Garden of Eden, where peace reigns even in the animal kingdom, so that the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them around. Imagine a world ruled by a perfect, glorious ruler who instantly and firmly deals with sin. Humanly speaking, that description may seem far-fetched, a utopian fantasy that could never be reality, and yet it accurately describes conditions during the future earthly kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you're not kidding. (laughs) This healing of the blind man foreshadows a coming kingdom, and the king is the one that's performing the miracle, and that kingdom is dawning. But it says he sent him home, saying, don't even enter the village. And the sad reality is that not everyone will enter that kingdom. So it points to the kingdom, and it also points to judgment. Because only those who have repented of their sin and respond to the invitation of the king are going to get into the kingdom. 
And the miracle also anticipates judgment. Jesus tells the man to go home, not go in the village, so that the people won't come looking for him. I mean, the very next words in verse 27, Jesus went out along with the disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. Now, there's no doubt they're going to find out about this man being healed. I mean, just like Jairus' daughter. And how do you... She's sick and she's dead and now she's walking around. They're going to find it out, but Jesus is going to be long gone by the time they find it out. It's a judgment. He sends him to his home. It's a blessing for the man, but it's a judgment for the city. He doesn't return the man to the crowd. He... And that allows him and the disciples to leave to go to Bethsaida. And in the kingdom, some will enter into the joy of the Lord. Grievingly, some will be left outside. Those who have no oil in their lamps, those who have no wedding garment, those who make excuses now, I just got married, I just bought some land, I just got some oxen to to test out. They refuse the invitation because earthly things are more important. And when the kingdom comes, they'll be outside by their own doing because Jesus stands today with arms open wide saying, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, Jesus says. Eat what is good. And Jesus and the disciples go away, and they go to Caesarea Philippi where they they confess, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And this miracle prepares them for that. How's God prepared you this morning for this passage, this miracle, for this moment? How's He been at work in your life? What would you say about Jesus? That kingdom sound pretty good? Well, to enter the kingdom, you come to the king. Long before that kingdom comes, he takes away your sin. That's possible right here, right now, through repentance and faith. There's only one answer that will get you into the king, get you into heaven. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. If you can't see him clearly this morning, I would beg God, if I were you, to give you eyes to see yourself and him that you might repent, believe, and enter into the joy of the Lord. Don't you bow your heads. We're going to sing in just a moment after I close in prayer and there's a prayer room that will be open. If you can't see God clearly, there's, maybe there's something in your life that you need to confess. Maybe you've never come to Christ to begin with. Someone would be happy to pray with you, let you pray on your own, whatever it might be. I just encourage you, don't let God take this amazing blessing, this truth that, that He has laid before you today and and you go home and never respond.
Father, thank you for the the revelation, the time after time after time that you came to me and that you didn't give up, that you didn't turn away, even though I had no desire to come to you. You were so merciful. Oh, Father, I pray that you would be the same for us today. Anyone here who doesn't know Christ, anyone here who has lost their focus. Father, draw them back. Use this passage that we might rejoice in the King and that we might live for the coming kingdom even here and now that others might see and believe. Thank you, Jesus, for opening eyes of the blind. Look forward to the day when you reign. In Christ's name.